because I hold pens like fucking garbage. It's horrifying. It gives me sympathy carpal tunnel. I'll get you know what with this new fountain pen, it'll it, it'll hail a new <laughs> a new chapter in my life for not holding writing utensils like a fucking lobster claw. Oh my gosh, we can only hope, right? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to On Writing and Fan Fiction. I'm Zoe. I'm Jake. And welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while. Sorry. A well, um, the, the the distance between this episode and last episode probably won't actually be too long. Whereas, like, you, the, okay, wait, don't say that. Don't 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 well, hold me yeah, to that. Don't hold me to that. I won't. Don't quote me on that. But yeah. the, the real <laughs> hiatus was between last episode and the episode before that. Yeah, that's that's true. It's hard to keep track of these things. The point is, it's we've been really we busy. It's just that we haven't recorded in a long time. Yes, yeah. we've been very busy. Yeah, I've been working a lot of weekends uh, on my end, <laughs> which is terrible. That's a bummer, dude. Yeah, but we're back, and we're hoping that you still, you're still following us and following us on Instagram at OWFF underscore podcast, sending yep. us emails um, to the OWFFpod at gmail.com. Excellent plug, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> both of which are run by our lovely social media manager slash artistic what do we call her? Creative director. Creative director. Creative director Kira. And we do actually have an email. Oh yeah, we have an email. Yeah, we have a email. Let me pull it up. We have an email. For brevity's sake, I won't read the entire thing, but we have an email from Zoe's friend Carrie. Thank you for reaching out to us, by the way. She said she said she wanted to weigh on the Christmas tree thing. She said it's hilarious, and also, oh my God, fire hazard. So she She's agrees just, with me on that point. Yeah, no, so she that's does. point me. Yeah, that's a point. For, that's a point, and you, I, and like that's. I agree with you that episode as well. So like the odds are pretty stacked against Giddy, in this regard. Yeah. But then um, she goes on and like. Yeah. And she's she's <laughs> okay. Here's, here's where you're gonna get mad because she's very much no, with Giddy on the milk. I've read the email. Yeah. She did okay. She she did point out something though that was a good point. She said put that warning in an author's note, which I should have thought of. Oh, see, and, yeah, that's great. And so yes. See, Carrie, why the fuck are you not running this podcast instead? Because yeah. we clearly can't think of this shit. <laughs> and, like, I do... So, I did say... I did ultimately end up, like, tentatively agreeing with Giddy, but it's, like, it's... It really does... It's I would... As an editor, I would flag that. I would be like, hey, this cat's... If you knew, you said you didn't know cats didn't drink if, milk. If I... Yeah. In moving forward, if I am ever reading... If editing something in which, like, an author has a cat drinking milk i'll be like so cats don't actually drink milk but if you're going to use this as a character note to like sort of like characterize the character as someone who doesn't take care of cats well then then that's that's a good that's a good thing so subtle thing to do but i think i'm with you on this one really yeah i think so. retroactively retroactively well because i mean yes. i did i did say like at the like at the end of that diatribe last episode i was like i would still flag it and like that is sort of like my main I would flag it. That's my okay. thing. You know what? I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it. So there, Giddy, if you're listening. Uh, oh, and she also says she was uh, today years old when Carrie. she learned about trans... Yeah, Carrie, sorry. She was today years old when she learned about transparasteel. If you... <laughs> sorry. If you, yeah. Sorry, if, Carrie. <laughs> if you didn't know... If you did know that uh, that Glass in Star Wars was named transparasteel, I'm sorry. If you didn't know Glass in Star Wars was named transparasteel, I apologize. 
Alright, it's full disclosure though, Jake, in like my in-universe Star Wars fix, I do use all those words. Yeah, like... It's I, it's part of writing in-universe for I me. G- I get it, <laughs> but I get it, right? But I, f- I hate that. Like, I'm not... Transparasteel isn't, isn't as bad as flimsy plast instead of paper, I don't I've think. never heard the plast part, I just always called it flimsy. It when just, I remember, sometimes I don't remember. And it just, just it just paper. goes back to my thing of like if you if something is so ubiquitous that even in like an alternate universe that's like you know it's different from Earth or whatever the fuck and like you know it's not it's not this universe we couldn't we wouldn't call it paper we'd call it lollum flollum or whatever the fuck <laughs> like just call it paper because well, you're well, going to draw more attention to it by calling it something else. Well, okay, and I'm not haven't... saying that at you. Like I'm just, I just mean like generally. Like that's that's my like sort of thing with it. I know. Well, I was just thinking about this because I guess you haven't seen Legend of Korra, right? No. But cars have been invented in Legend of Korra, and they were invented by a guy whose last name was Sato. So they're called Satomobiles instead of cars. Yeah. How do you feel that? Because like I don't mind that because it's like part of the universe, right? I mean, it's it's not as blatant it's not as offensive as flimsy plastic because like that guy's a character right and yeah. like he no i get it and it's like a play on words so like it's fine but it's it's not as i'm i'm all right with it because like it's not it's not as fucking offensive as flimsy blast i that being said i haven't seen that show but like everything i hear about that show like makes me not want to watch it more. that's because okay that's because there's there is like a good amount to complain about but it is sure. ju- it is like overall good and it's it's you should watch it is what i'm saying anyway lastly just to finish up carrie does want to say giddy was a great addition and it was a cool episode so Giddy, if you're listening the people loved you yeah Uh, we we had such a good time too we had guests on two episodes in a row it's kind of strange just to be back the two of us just back in the saddle she says it's fun to hear about the things other people get stuck on as a reader editor because she's never had a beta reader before Mm -hmm. Um, it's been giving me some interesting new angles to approach my own work that's awesome. That rules. And they weren't all stressing out about all the times I probably did things that, that were horribly culturally offensive either. We've all have been it, there. <laughs> having, having read Carrie's fix, though, you're, you're okay. <laughs> you're probably fine, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, thanks, Carrie, for your question. That was, that's, uh, that's great. Yeah, we always love emails. But we should, act, we should probably have like a dedicated segment moving forward but like at the end of the episode before we sign off we'll have letter time or some bullshit like that well we've been doing letter time at the beginning generally yeah, we, have, we have letter it's, time it, it's just sort of like we, we we didn't really here you should email email us or comment on the instagram whether we should have letter time at the beginning of episodes exactly. or at the end like exactly. is it super boring and you just want to like stop listening before or do you fast forward through or do you like want is this like a good warm-up very smart very smart zone. Yeah, we should that. we should turn that's, the decision over to the people. That's a good shill. This is a very <laughs> communitarian podcast. It's all this is the, the the how many listeners does Anchor say we have? I like don't know, 26? like fucking. I, it, probably it's probably less. It's, it's in it's in the twenties, I think. It's in we the, the twenties. That's actually that's actually like twice as many as I thought we had. So, yeah, good for us. Yeah, we're we're really popular guys. <laughs> yeah, we're fucking popping off now. Fucking see you fuckers in the big leagues. Oh, man. But before we get to the big leagues, what are we talking about today? All right. So today is going to hopefully be a quick episode, shorter, shortish episode, definitely shorter than last episode. Yeah. But we're going to have like a mini series on uh, beginning and ending stories. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so today we're going to focus on beginning a story. And, One of the uh, hardest fucking things to do. Yeah. And then uh, next time we're going to talk about ending stories, which is actually the hardest thing to do. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, actually, endings and beginnings are different for different people. I, I find... I find that beginnings are a little bit harder for me, I think. Really? I yeah. think endings... I think almost always endings are harder for me. Well... Hmm. I it, guess depends. it depends. Well, it depends. Okay, this is this is good because this is um, leads into our first topic. So, how to begin a story and your original idea. So, sometimes people have... So, I've experienced both of these, but sometimes your original idea is for an end. And sometimes your original idea is is for a beginning. Like sometimes the first right. scene that comes to me is the beginning and sometimes the first scene that comes to me is the end. So whatever one of those doesn't come to me initially, that's the hardest one to write. And almost always for me, the beginning comes to me first. Like right. that's where I, that's where my my de- my ideas are usually beginnings. And so then I take that point and I like run and, with it. And you usually write like character study kind of stuff. You write you write pretty introspective sort of like character critical yeah, not, not plotting in like in that it's boring or that it drags on, but it's it's very. You don't write like action oriented stuff. You write very like close sort of. Like you write like like emotionally poignant stories. I think. Right, right. Um, first off, so that's true. Mostly, I I will say though that's that's true more of the stories of mine that you've read than of what I've written as a whole. Sure, sure. Because while I tend to not write action ever, mm-hmm. I, you know, that, that what you're describing is like a smaller proportion okay. than you have just made it seem. Sure. Just because that's what you've read right. of mine. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. In that case, like, what, what sort of, like, are the scenes that appear to you first, like, as they appear like sort of what kinds of scenes are there like what kinds of scenes are the first things that you conceive of um so usually um they're really concrete conversations like i I know the characters where they are what they're doing and usually the first kind of when that all comes together is when i start to when like snippets of dialogue start to come to me um and then i can start from there i'm like or at least recently i haven't liked writing like really kind of zoomed out like vignette style narration slash exposition heavy stories i've been really into like writing like scenes so that's what's been coming to me first like that's what has to come to me before i consider it okay this is an idea that i'm gonna now sit down and write and so, what you're describing is scene versus summary that's that's a pretty like heavily sort of like litigated topic and like creative writing pedagogy mm-hmm. so i just find scenes like when you write, when you when you when a story is like a lot of scenes rather than summary, it's it can be really immersive and it's yes. it's um, easier for readers to get invested into the characters. That's why sure. I really like writing scenes. That's fair. And and I, actually, I I think scenes are generally for beginnings. Scene versus summary is the way you want to go because yeah, I remember back in my first year of college, uh, my professor coined a term that he calls narrative scaffolding. Right. Mm-hmm. And the scaffolding would be like so. Say say you have a scene that is. Uh, oh God, I know the fucking term. What the hell is, is the term for like when you start a scene like in the middle of it? In medius res. In medius res. Thank you. So say you have a scene in, in medius res 
the scaffolding would be all the information prior to that starting point that sort of contextualizes and, and leads to that moment in the text where you're, you're reading. So my prof always said, if you have any scaffolding, get rid of it. Do away with it. Because it, it's, it's, it's plotting, it's summary, you're front-loading your book or your story with exposition, get right into scene because that's what will be what grabs people. And if you grab yeah. people, then you can te- you can e- you can tease all that other stuff out later. Yeah, just so um um if anyone doesn't know, in Medias Race is when you is when the first scene that you experience, like either watch or like read, when it's when that scene actually takes place in the middle of the action. And so yeah. what's followed usually is by a scene that starts three day uh, three days earlier or like uh, this an x amount of time earlier yeah actually so i have a couple of books here that i actually wanted to bring up like as really great examples of good beginnings and the first one is seven blades in black by sam sykes which i read over the summer and it was it's stellar everyone check that out i read the first page of this book at the bookstore and i bought it immediately and the very <laughs> fr- this is like the first couple sentences Everyone loved a good execution. From the walls of Imperial Cathema to the farthest reach of the Revolution, no citizen of the Scar who could think of a finer way to spend an afternoon than watching the walls get painted with bits of dissidence. And behind the walls of Revolutionary High Tower that day, there was an electricity in the air felt by every citizen. So, immediately, right, you have a tone setter. Everyone loved a good execution that set, that sets the tone of the world. And it also shows you, like, what's happening. So there's immediately there's action. Conflict. Yeah, and conflict. Um, but Jake, we, you asked me, but you didn't say yourself where do your what what are the usually the first ideas that come to you? Oh, so it, mine are actually the they're kind of the polar opposite. Where the first thing I ever conceive of when I'm thinking of a story is a fight scene, and <laughs> of course it is <laughs> right. And it's neither the end nor the beginning. What they, what they usually are are narratively significant junctures in the story that take the shape of a fight scene. So I'll right. think of a, I'll think of a fight scene and I'll be like I want this scene to have gravitas and, and poignancy and I want it to be you know narratively significant. What do I need to do, and what pieces do I need to put in place to get there and for that fight scene to feel earned? Because fight scenes are very narratively utilitarian, right? Like a good fight scene isn't just spectacle. It's there because the character that is it in the fight scene the character that enters it is not the same character that leaves it the character always something has to be taken from them or they have to learn or they have to gain something something. they have to they they have to something has to happen to them right uh, that makes the fight scene sort of necessary as part of the story Um, yeah something more than like superficial yeah exactly and in fight scenes for spectacle like that's another discussion but Fight scenes in literature are so sort of like specific and difficult to do well that yeah. you have to really consider like, you know, what are the things that I need to do in the story to get my readers to this point where they feel that the fight scene is earned and they feel that it's significant. That it, like that to the reader, it has the significance that I want it to have. Yeah. I um, think about the same thing when I write fight scenes. Sure. And by then by fight scene, I mean usually a scene in which char- two characters have an argument. Yeah. Because Jake will know. I have never written a fight scene. <laughs> <laughs> they're fun, man. I no, like they're not. Lot. I've written. They're okay, that's a blast. lie. I've written really short fight scenes. Yeah, um, there was, I I know one that you yeah you read yeah you read, yeah, yeah. I, I can think of one. It's okay. It's not definitely not the high point of the fic. 
you know, it's but purpose. I really didn't want to write it. Uh, <laughs> you can tell. I think you can kind of tell when I'm read when you're reading it that I really didn't want. I just wanted this to be over as soon as sure, possible. Sure. And like, yeah, like that's it, you know, not every story needs a fight scene. Like conflict can take a multitude yeah. of shapes. Right? I think so. it's uh, yeah. I love writing. Um, but I love my favorite thing is writing two characters having an argument. And, like, I love all that subtext that's involved in that. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, people exactly. not saying exactly what they mean. Or people saying exactly what they mean, and that's what causes the argument. Mm-hmm. In playwriting, there's a there's a, sort of, like, a, a maxim that, like, every, every conversation between two characters is, like, an argument, a negotiation, or a seduction. Yeah. It's how you make a conflict interesting. Because, like, mm-hmm. a character, one character wants something... And mm-hmm. another character is keeping them from getting it. Yeah, a conversation between two people who like perfectly agree on everything is not super that's, interesting. That sucks. That sucks. Which um, is why it's so fun to listen to me and Jake. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But sorry. So back to this passage really quick. Like another thing that it does really well is it establishes scale. It establishes that we're in a really big world immediately because it talks about from the walls of imperial cathema to the farthest reach of the revolution it's you know it, it signifies the revolution as a place there was no citizen of the scar who could think of a finer way to spend an afternoon than watching the walls get painted with bits of dissidence it's like okay so we understand that the scar is a big place we understand from its name that it's probably not a nice place and we understand from the description of its citizens liking watching people get turned into fine scarlet mist it's splattered against walls, we understand that the people that inhabit it probably aren't that nice. That's a, that's a great beginning. It, it tells you a ton of information about the world very, very briefly. And it does it with a great, great tone. That book has like one of the most unique authorial voices I've ever read. I like it a lot. It's really good. Yeah, right, that, listeners. That would be what? Seven Blades in Black by Sam Sykes. All right, we'll put it in the link. We'll put it in the... Um show notes too yeah that's a good idea the first uh line of that book is you know everyone loved a good execution that's a fucking great first line and there's like you know what are other amazing lines in literature there's the one that always comes to me is um the man in black fled across the desert the gunslinger followed from the dark tower it's like Mm -hmm. okay so you have you have your your target you have your character that wants to pursue that target you have a location across which he is pursuing them and you have scale because deserts are big perfect Mm -hmm. I actually have a mug here with like a bunch of different quotes from like classic literature on it, like first lines. <laughs> All this happened, more or less. I actually don't know what that's from. Um, um oh, oh, oh. I recognize that. Yeah. I'm going to have to Google it. There's. Oh, one, another really, really great one is from uh, 100 Years of Solitude by uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. All this, I knew I'd read it. All this happened more or less is Slaughterhouse Five. Oh, oh, by Vonnegut. Okay, cool. I gotta read more Kurt Vonnegut, man. I love Kurt Vonnegut. He's he's a, he's one of the greats, man. But another one I really like is from A Hundred Years of Solitude, and it's uh, many years later as he faced the firing squad. Colonel Aureliano, yeah, Aureliano Buendia, was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. That Strange, sounds right? like it's a weird detail. Have you oh have you read a hundred years? I, I, I have it on my bookshelf. I have not read it. Okay, you know what? That can you repeat that actually? Oh sure. It Line? reads. Many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel Aureliano Buendia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. 
Actually, you know what, that sounds a lot like the plot of the story, the short story, Bullet in the Brain by Tobias Wolf, hmm. which, Jake, you would love. I'll, I'll check that out. Love. I'm not familiar with that. It's not, it's not that long. It's like less than 10 pages long. And literally the whole plot is a guy gets shot during a bank robbery. And it's so good. I guess to give it away a little bit, it's about what goes through his mind during the last moments before he dies. Right. And it's got a similar theme as to as what that first line. Like a similar sort of just, tone, yeah. And, yeah, just established. Yeah, and one, if I can do, just get one more example in here before we sort of launch into a discussion about it, is there's another, so the first line from the first book in the Last Kingdom series by Bernard Cornwell, which is one of my favorite series, I absolutely love this, it goes, my name is Uhtred. I am the son of Uhtred, who was the son of Uhtred, and his father was also called Uhtred. My father's clerk, the priest called Bayoka, spelt it Utred. I do not know if this was how my father would have written it, for he could neither read nor write, but I can do both, and then sometimes I take the old parchments from their wooden chest and I see the name spelled Utred or Utred or Uhtred or Utred. I look at those parchments, which are deeds saying that Utred, son of Utred, is the lawful and sole owner of the lands that are carefully marked by stones and by dikes, by oaks and by ash, by marsh and by sea, and I dream of those lands, wave-beaten and wild beneath the wind-driven sky. I dream and know that one day I will take back the land from those who stole it from me. So, again, what do we have? A really, really strong tone setter that also conveys a lot of important information. There's a lineage at play here. There's Uhtred, son of Uhtred. There's clearly some sense, there's a sense of high birth. The character that's narrating is clearly of, of, of noble standing because he was heir to lands, right he was he was an uh, an heir to some location some some you know kingdom or castle or whatever uh and it was stolen from him right so you yeah have, so you have that's that's your conflict set up right there immediately this tension immediately. exactly there there's this tone of of um sort of like angry resolution like a firmness like i you know i'm i'm going to take back what was stolen from me there's there's anger at being betrayed but there's resolution there's resoluteness in you know being being sure yeah well you know you're invested back. in this guy already because you know he has a mission right yeah exactly and and you're invested in the world because you know the generations speak of they make the world seem you know feel older and feel lived in and already kind of immersive yeah uh, especially with the description of like the location of the land that was stolen. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah these are all right. things. Yeah, yeah, these are all things that kind of contribute mm -hmm. to a really good beginning. And and what's sort of the I, I the biggest thing for a good beginning to a story is tone. Yeah. Because the the tone of a story is is sort of what is its most unique element. It's what comes through in your voice as an author. And if you can if you can strike the beginning of a story that captures that really well, whether it's in the middle of a conversation or in the middle of a gunfight, you are going to have a really strong hook for your audience that is going to be like, okay, no, I want to, I want to at least get fast get past the first page. And if you can get them in, if you can hook them, then you can tease out the rest of the scaffolding, the rest of the information that would be there if you weren't starting in medias res uh, as you plot out the rest of the story that will come to them naturally throughout the text just as you organically you know stick that in through dialogue or the occasional narratives aside or whatever yeah i mean i want to clarify there's you don't have to you know there are more ways to begin a story than sure, in yes. medias res 
But, you know, inevitably, you have to start a story somewhere, and there's always stuff that's in your mind that's happened before the first scene. And you don't want to just dump that all right sure. there. You want to start, ideally, in a scene. Um, but before we get into get even more into good beginnings versus bad beginnings, I wanted to ask Jake, where do, I, where do you think ideas come from? It's a fucking big question. Because... Um... Because there's a lot of talk, like, fandom circles, there's a lot of talk about muses. I hate muses. I don't even... Isn't a... I, isn't a muse, like, a... I barely even actually know... I, I just sort of had, like, a, a, an intuitive, vague idea of what a muse... It's just, like, a person that inspires you, right? No, it doesn't have to be a person. So, a muse in Greek mythology is, like... are the, They're, like, gods or, like, celestial beings that... Right. That are what give you, like, your creative energy you know um because you know the first line of the odyssey is something like you know oh muse tell me a story of a complicated man because you know these were the beings you would pray to if you like were an ancient greek playwright and didn't have any ideas or if you were an artist and wanted ideas and they're referenced a lot um they're talked about a lot in fandom circles people will say you know when describing you know you know, a slump when they're not writing that much or they can't think of anything like, oh, the muse has left me for a while. And, mm-hmm. or, you know, when they're like just really product being really productive and like writing thick after thick, you know, the, you know, my muse just won't let me go. Right. I don't really like personally, I don't like thinking of it this way because I prefer to think of it all as within me and, you know, something I have control over. Right. You know, if I haven't written in like a couple months or, you know, IRL, I haven't written in a couple weeks. Um, <laughs> You know, I don't want to say it's because, like, I the muse, my muse isn't there right now. Like, mm-hmm. it's just that, you know, I'm thinking about other things. Sure. So, like, yeah. and then, and then um, like, like, classically, though, like, old white painter types would, you know, would, <laughs> you know, put this onus on, like, a person, yeah, usually like a woman. Yeah, but that doesn't have to be the case. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it can be, it's more of, like, a theoretical way, and it, I can understand why, I understand the this romance is, of it, but yeah. it's not really like a yeah. I think well, I know. Well, I think because like oftentimes when your ideas come to you, they feel very external, at least for me. So it, it can feel natural to ascribe that to like an external being. Mm-hmm. But personally, I like to feel. For me, I like to imagine all my creative energy is within me, and like it sure. ebbs and flows, but. I feel like my ideas aren't external, or my creative energy isn't external, even if, yeah. you know, I get a lot of ideas from real life and other media that I consume. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that's mostly where my ideas come from, like, the short answer. Um, yeah. The last time I had, like, just a ton of creative energy, I got this idea for a story that kind of, you know, was a combination of ideas from, an, you know, elements that I had seen in another show that I've been watching, combinations um, of elements from a book I'd be reading, combinations of ideas I've been thinking about, something else that had happened, like, in my work life. Like, all of these ideas kind of came together, like, yeah. all of a sudden, when I was half asleep. And that was, like, the inspiration for a story that I wrote really quickly and sure. came really fast. I, I think I think talking about it as sort of externalizing your creative energy is a really smart way of putting it, because it's, like, that's 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 pretty dangerous, I would think, because... What that can lead to, I feel, is if you conceive of your of your creative sort of 
impetus, your creative ethos, your creative energy coming from this outside source that if it's not there, then there's nothing, then you can't do anything. You can't write or create visual art or animate or whatever it is you do. I feel like that could really quickly sort of like tank your self-worth as an artist. Whereas if you, if you conceive of it as just sort of you are inspired by different things at different times and your creative sensibilities are are what give that inspiration shape like it's an internal thing you're gonna have a lot more faith in your ability as an artist like if you just if you just you know well on the other hand well on the other hand like if you think of everything as internal and you you know have a a period of time where you're not feeling like where you where you can't feel that creative energy then you can feel like oh my god it's all me and there's nothing i can do about it right so there's advantages and disadvantages to viewing it both ways. I just, like, personally, I don't like viewing it as something... I don't view, like, where my ideas come from as someplace external. Sure. I, I, get, it just, I guess it just depends on who the author is, right? Like, if you, it's, you're... Everyone's, like, ideas come from different places. Like, you know, you asked me, like, where do ideas come from? And I, I think they... <clears throat> I think they come from external sources, sure. They But they come from, like, sort of, like, the... the the things we're passionate about and the things that we interact with and sort of like the parts of like the cultural consciousness. You know what I mean? Like I, I draw a lot of inspira- inspiration from martial arts movies and video games and shit and sci-fi stories. Um, and those are all external things, but they're things that I'm very passionate about and have strong. Yeah. And it's ultimately for. like your perception of them that is yeah. translated into the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like the ideas all, coalesce in your mind yeah and always feel free to chase those ideas too. chase those inspirations like for example when like the the story that i'm writing now which i'm on like the fourth draft of i'm almost done and i'm even submitting it to agents right now is that came to me from studying poetry it came to me from learning about metrical feet and shit in the first year of college we were talking about i ams and trochees which if you remember from episode four an I am is a two-syllable metric foot that is an unstressed syllable and a stressed syllable, so like da-da, whereas a trochee is a da-da, stressed syllable followed by an unstressed syllable. A spondy is two stressed syllables, so it would be like da-da. And the example that I use, because it's the example that came to me that inspired the story, was you know how in the song Thunderstruck at the beginning, like you hear like thunder, na 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 thunder. Like the way they the way they pronounce thunder is spondaic. It's two syllables, both of which are stressed. And I choreograph a lot of scenes to songs all the time. And the idea that I had was a woman standing on top of a car and she is like electrokinetic or something. Like she's what she's she's picking this car up with like electromagnetic waves with like magnesis and hurtling it down a road like a human railgun and she's pounding her fist into the roof of the car, spawn like with that sort of spondaic beat like to the mm-hmm. beat of the ACDC yelling thunder at the beginning of Thunderstruck <laughs> right and that was sort of that was sort of like the character note that was like okay that's what this character is capable of doing. And that idea was so cool to me. Like, if I had seen that in, like, a fucking show or a game or, like, an anime or something, I would have marked the fuck out. So I just sort of chased that idea. Like, inspiration comes from the fucking weirdest of places. 
And funny enough, prior to that class, I didn't like poetry because I grew up in a province with fucking horrible public education because we live in North America. So I didn't appreciate poetry for sort of the beautiful thing that it is and the mechanically really deep thing that it is. So before that class, I didn't I didn't really care much about poetry. And when I finally did, when I finally had it described to me in a way that made me want to write it, it began to inspire me in ways that it w- that I might not have been prior. You know what I mean? So it's like mm-hmm. so chase those ideas and sort of listen to listen to your inspirations. Yeah. Just to to add to that, um, I don't I have I have a lot of ideas. I don't chase every single one of them. Sure. Um, I guess. I don't chase an idea until I, first of all, am thinking about it. It like, stu- I think about it for more than a couple days and it's like still in my head until I also think of the conflict and, and the emotional climax. So, you know, right. sometimes when scenes come to me, there's not an immediately obvious conflict, but I wouldn't start a story generally until the conflict, I do know what the conflict is going to be and then also what the emotional climax is going to be. Because sure. um, I have to know at the beginning where a story is going. Right on. Um, so what am I building up to? <laughs> So that's that's interesting because I'm actually completely the opposite. Like I I, I the first th- scene I conceive of is something in the middle, and then I don't know where I'm going to start and end it. Like, but I think damn. <laughs> well, because you know there's a there's a famous Canadian author, uh, Gary Barwin, and his sensibilities about writing are letting the text sort of suggest itself to him and letting you know ideas sort of let the story sort of build on itself and branch out on itself sort of on its own as he's writing it. And that's that's something that works really well for, for me, too. So your creative process is going to come down to sort of whatever your creative process is. Like, sometimes there are writers like Zoe who they they know the beginning and the ending of the story, and they, they plot everything out very, you know, in critical detail. And there are writers like me who think of some bullshit in the middle and give sort of a, a pretty vague but, like, linear enough outline and then you just kind of go from there and see what the text does yeah that's interesting to me that you tend your ideas tend to be in the middle i mean i've had you know stories that started with ideas that were in the middle and they're usually like that emotional climax that i talked about so would you say your ideas when they start in the middle are they at the emotional climax or are they not they they are at a climax they are at uh, they're, (laughs) they're at like an important juncture in the story where it's like i conceive of fight scenes like the ones that i conceive of for for really big stories are pretty bombastic ones it's one character taking on like you know an entire fucking like crew of you know samurai or something or it's like a giant like a huge war like a really like a battlefield setting or something like that right so it's like and for those scenes to have gravitas for those scenes to have narrative weight you have to build up to them properly so it, it, it's definitely a climax in the story. It's Maybe not, you wouldn't call it the emotional climax. It, it, well, it, I mean, it, yes and no, right? Because it, it, it can be. It, it just sort of depends on what I eventually decide the story to be. Regardless, it's a really important, like, juncture in, in the narrative. Um, yeah. But, like, the, the point of what we're getting at here is that there's there's no real hard and fast way. There's no formula. Yeah. To Clearly. How, no, absolutely not. There's no real formula to starting a story. Yeah. Um, so you just got to do whatever works for you. Yeah. However. Yeah. And, and different things can work for you at different times for different stories. Yes, exactly. However, there are, there is, uh, there are some general ideas, general rules. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, beginnings, 
can have varying qualities to them. We talked yeah. a lot about re what's all part of a really good beginning, um, you know, establishing, you know, getting right into the scene, establishing the world and the tone um, and the characters and maybe even like some of the history. Establishing the conflict is really important. Um, my creative writing professor in college, she always liked to put beginnings of stories in terms of movement. So, you know, you can start, beginnings can be too slow or too fast. Like you can start a story where not enough is happening or you can start a story where too much is happening at once. Yeah, which um, is sort of, uh, there's a, there, there's, if it's happening too fast, you have a, a, too much scene. If it's happening too slow, you have too much summary. Yeah, yeah. So there was a, um, I remember I was in a workshop with someone and her beginnings were always just very slow. They kind of, it was hard to get into the story. They kind of mm -hmm. tended to kind of plod along for a little while. Right. Um, until she wrote this one really good story that started with a person with two characters on a train. And it was actually, it was really, and not much was happening, like really, they were just two characters on a train going somewhere. But it was really engaging immediately. Um, and my professor was like, yes, see, that's how you do it. Like you have to start with, when you can't think of, and you know, you know, movement, just physically, your characters can be moving. And that yeah. establishes... If that's perfect. If they're on a train, they're going somewhere. Yeah. They have Which means they... They're there for a reason. They have an objective. Yeah. And the characters weren't even saying anything on a train. They were just sitting there. They're just hanging out. Um, but that already establishes the world, you know, because you have a, you know, characters going from one place to another. They have to be going for a reason. And it's really easy to, like, draw conflict from there. Like, why are, why are two people going somewhere? Are they running you know? away or running towards? Yeah. Well, yeah, they're running away from something, running towards something. You know, how are they feeling about this shift? I mean, when in doubt, like physical movement is, you that's know, a really, that's a really good, it's, yeah, I, especially, that's a, that's a really good, like, tool, actually, I had never yeah. sort of thought, because I, I always kind of cheat and just try to start in the middle of conversations. Yeah, that's what I do, too. Yeah. Um, but if you if you're starting a story and two characters aren't talking, <laughs> you yeah. know, rather than just like filling the space with like, backstory or narration or, you know, something. You know, if you put them on someplace in a car or like on a train or on a, you know. Yeah. And even if you don't have any dialogue, if you have really strong narration, like if a, a starting line that says everyone loved a good execution, <laughs> that's an amazing tone setter for the world. Because it's like, I don't like watching executions. Those are violent, scary. But it's like this world is apparently full of people that disagree with me. Mm -hmm. So like, like there are really great ways to, you know, dialogue isn't sort of like the be all end all hard and fast rule of how to start a good story. You know, a strong tone setter and a strong narrative voice will, will do that for you really well. Yeah. I think less common is maybe the problem of beginning too fast because what I, what I'm imagining when I say beginning too fast is like when you're starting with a really complex scene with more than two characters yeah, and, you know, confusing dialogue between three people or more. Or when you are trying to draw attention out of nowhere, like you have three people yelling at each other, but you can't really tell why and you're not invested in these characters yet. So it's hard yeah. to care. Um, I think these are all kind of ways you can begin too fast. So I think, yeah. I mean, like Jake, I think I, al I also begin a lot of stories with just in the middle of a conversation between two people. I mean, like it works. <laughs> I sure. can't. Yeah. Like, there's a, there's other ways there's another thing too it's like even if your character even if the opening of your story is just a character getting out of bed yeah if the pacing is off like if the if the like line by line pacing if your pacing as a writer is bad then it's going to feel too fast it's like well uh -huh. okay, like where are we moving here so like even if it even if it does start with summary and not a scene if you're just sort of talking if your 
moving too quickly through the details of the world that you're trying to establish, then then it's yeah. then even even though there's actually not much like happening literally, the, you you'll be moving too fast for the reader to sort of yeah. get engaged. Yeah, I mean, you could also think of this as like an exposition dump. Like if you're yes. starting with an exposition dump, that's like both too slow and that like not enough is happening with the characters and too fast and that you're just throwing too much information yeah. at the reader before they are invested in the story. Another thing that you really want to think about in your beginnings is like, so I think something I've read uh, in terms of beginnings is like, you want to start a story right when something changes for the right. main character. So like, what you know, on this day, this day that you start your story on for your character must be different than all the other days. <laughs> because otherwise, because otherwise, why are you starting the story there? Like, yeah, no, exactly. you should start <laughs> if this day is the same as all the other days, then you like you don't start the story there you should start the story on the day that it's different from all the other yeah. days like right when the change happens so i think one example is i have a story um it's like a romance story between two people but over a long period of time um and so like my first you know the first scene is when those two people meet it's not like a day that's out of the ordinary in any other respect but you know that's the day my main character's life you know quote changes not to be dramatic about it sure but like that's something different that happened you know so that's why I started there. Yeah, no, so it's, so they're like movement that can take different forms. Either it's yeah. physical movement where your characters are on a train or uh -huh. it's sort of a metaphysical movement where there's, there's a shift in your character's life in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. maybe someone close to them has, has died or mm -hmm. maybe sort of they, they, they got a check in the mail that like, yeah. That from like a, a someone whose name they don't recognize but it's for like a, it, there's like a seven figure <laughs> number on the check or something like that like their their life their life yeah. changes uh drastically in in like sort of personal ways yeah yeah and this um and this is why it can be useful to have your main conflict as an idea in your head when you start a story because then because it's usually really nice when your first scene is also able like not only is it it doesn't describe a change in your character's life, but it's a change in a way that is connected to the greater theme of the story, the greater conflict of the story. Yeah. But if you don't have a greater conflict um, yet, that's okay. Um, you might find it as you write. But sometimes I like to go back after figuring out the greater conflict in my story. I like to go back to my original scene beginning and set up the conflict so that it really, and set up the first scene so that it really relates to the, to the bigger conflict. Right. So to move on <laughs> to something a little bit more mechanical, so when you begin a story, you want to decide pretty, or I always want to decide and like commit pretty immediately early on, yeah, to a tense, uh, in terms of like past tense or present tense, because this is something that's just just a huge, massively, just a massive pain to fix or to go back and change. I think it the also most impacts your story in a huge, huge way. Uh, I go back and forth on how much tense matters. I guess it depends on the story, but it's, it depends on the story. It depends on the story. Um, how much tense matters, but I mean, it's it's mattered enough that I think the most I've ever written before going back and changing a tense is like around fifteen hundred words. Like I'd written fifteen hundred words, and I decided to change the tense, <laughs> and I went back and did it, and I was like. I'm never doing this again for yeah, anything longer yeah. than this because that's a really pain in the ass because it's because you can't control F for things, yeah. at least in English. Nope. <laughs> um, you got to go and do it individually, and it's really easy to miss stuff. So I would you know if you end up changing your tense like a decent way through your story, like I definitely recommend getting like 
an editor or something to like yeah. check because it's really yeah, easy sure. to miss something because um, when you're reading something that you wrote you tend to miss stuff especially like little things like tense um tense and it's and stuff and it's a huge pain. Um, the two main tenses, of course, are past and present. I have future in here just kind of as a joke. I don't even know what future tense looks like. It's like I mean, it's definitely been done. It's like um, it's like you know, first person versus sec versus third person. Like, you know, there are stories that have been written in the second person, like yeah. you, but like they're few and far between, and they're super weird. So I bet that's the same for like, like stories written in the future tense. Yeah, which sounds super weird but maybe a cool challenge character is going to open the door character will do this character will do that God, it sounds like <laughs> fucking poison god i bet um i bet you could find some like really kind of avant-garde short fiction could, that does this you could find some experimental shit that's probably fucking super rad yeah actually no i've read um i've read future tense short stories really? um yeah well, short stories yeah that makes sense yeah, short stories. I mean, most of my like creative writing education was in short was in short fiction specifically. Yeah. So this is all Which my is experience. Usually pretty avant garde. <laughs> yeah, you have a lot. There's a lot of them to be avant garde in short fiction because it's short. Yes. But so the so but mostly you're going to be choosing between past and present. For a long time, I wrote exclusively in past, particularly for original things. I wrote I write almost exclusively in the past, and for most fan fiction, mm -hmm. recently I've been writing a lot of present tense fan fiction. Um, which has been kind of fun and interesting. Um, I tend not to do it for the longer things get, although recently I've written some long things in present tense, but it used to be, present tense used to be, at least for me, something that was really hard for me to sustain for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, because to me, like, writing in present tense tends to make things slower. Because, like, when I'm writing in the present tense, especially, like, highly emotional scenes, like, you just, I mean, present tense can be good for highly emotional scenes because... Yeah you just like sit in them and milk it but then like when you want to get the story moving again like present tense can be hard it can be hard to like speed things up for me sure. in the present tense i don't know what's your kind of well thinking? i i i write pretty much exclusively in past as well which is you know say someone uh like character x greg let's use greg uh, Greg opened the door versus Greg opens the door. It's like you're talking about something that just recently happened. I, th so the reason I said earlier that your tense has a big impact on your story is, I, I guess it depends, but it, it can have a huge impact on your story based on what your story's themes are. For example, I was editing a friend's work uh, in like third year and she was writing a story in which it was sort of this minority report-esque like preventative crime thing in which like the, the there was the, the setting was like a police state in which the police like monitored people's dreams for thought crimes mm -hmm. so you had to go to sleep every night with this with this thing called a net and it was just a ba basically just like a bunch of like a neuro neurodes the diodes thing the things sure. you, the suction things you stick on people's heads to measure their brain so every night you have to you have to sleep with one of those on so they can monitor your dreams to be like are you thinking of any politically dissident bullshit and the story was written in the present tense and she had asked me like is it does it should i just do past tense because it's like conventional and easier and i in my recommendation to her was there's a great deal of emphasis on the present in this story because you, you your thoughts can't linger on anything anything or else you're you're gonna get you're you get disappeared by the government so 
like you have to constantly live in the moment and you can't think subversive or politically dissonant thoughts you have to live completely in the present thinking nothing Mm-hmm. So I, I, my advice to her was keep it in the present tense because that's sort of like a, a good, like a nice textual. Them, yeah, thematically works. It, yeah, thematically it makes sense. It's, it, that's a textual analog, a textual parallel to the theme of the story. So text, tense can have a really, really big impact I guess, on your story. Depen- yeah. It depends on what you're writing. It depends um, on what you're writing, definitely. Yeah. But as for sort of how to keep things moving at a good pace, like, like you said, it's, it's sort of hard for you to, to keep things uh from being really slow if you're running in present tense, right? Well, yeah, because I think a lot of, like, present tense verbs have more syllables than past tense past tense verbs. Really? I don't know if it's actually true. It's just my feeling. But, like, I feel like adding, like, ed into something, that generally doesn't change the number of syllables that word is. Yeah, it can't. Sometimes it does. Sometimes but, like, it sometimes does. it doesn't. But then, right. like, present tense, I think, almost, like, a lot of the time, like, you're adding extra syllables. So everything just is slower. And maybe I'm not as practiced in the present tense. I wrote one original story in the present tense. I'm just trying to kind of experiment with it. My, my creative writing professor was like, yeah. the story is very aggressively in the present tense. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oof. <laughs> yeah, I, I never write in the present tense, so I, I'm not really that much of it. I can't. Even your fan fiction? Is that in the past? I don't remember. Yeah, no, it's all past tense. Yeah, I um, bet. I bet that's. Beca- I bet that stuff has something to do with writing fight scenes because, like, I can imagine like writing a fight scene is really hard in the present tense. It's um, well, I, because I mean, because I, of those extra syllables. I I don't I don't know that it's extra syllables necessarily, but like, Fine. but I'm always caught up on like when when people edit my work, uh, when they make stylistic edits, is my edit my editors always advise me keep an eye out for passive versus. Active, active language yeah for example that would be uh they they swept all the objects off the table or something versus mm-hmm. they had swept all the objects off the table and were doing something else like make sure even if you're talking in past tense if you're, if you're writing in past tense make sure that the actions are happening presently yeah so to be clear they had swept that's the passive voice yes they Whereas swept is the active voice is active is active past tense yeah um, so even if you're writing with like sort of past tense verbiage or just past tense, the the actions that you're describing are active and present sort of. Yeah, yeah. So this is um so this is something that you're told to do a lot in non-creative writing too. Avoid the passive voice because it's wordier. The passive voice is wordier is. because you have all those helping verbs. I mean, to me, it just tends it's a, it's a speed thing. Like it tends to just slow you down. The the passive voice. And it's more, um, st- it makes your sentences more structurally complicated and harder to understand. It does. Which is, which is why, because I make them, which is why my editors are always like, stop doing that because I fucking make that mistake a lot. Cause I yeah. Because I just fucking talk and talk. Well, I'm trying to think about why it's such a common bad habit because it seems like an illogical way to structure a sentence. Right. I, I think it's just sort of like, it, it, it's probably just a, bri- a byproduct, like a subconscious thing of like being writing in the past tense. Point is, don't do it. Yeah, point, yeah, point is, don't do it. Unless I don't, you're I'm, writing I'm just, a story just, that's like yeah. about that. Like if I'm you're writing gonna... a story that's <laughs> literally all passive language, you're probably writing a short story. You're probably being very avant-garde and experiment. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say like writing in the present tense probably won't solve all your passive voice problems. Yeah. But it might solve some of them as well as creating others. Sure. I, again, <laughs> the conclusion is do what works for you. 
yeah, do it works for you, but but make a decision early on. And if you yes. can't make a decision early on, like write a like you... write a short scene in both, and then like look at those and decide. Will because fuck yourself. What you don't want to be doing is going back and changing your tense Ooh. through like a multiple hundred thousand word story. Yes, and another decision you want to make early on is what point of view you want to tell it from third person or first person yeah yeah that that probably has a bigger impact on your story than tense does yes i would say i mean yeah definitely and in line with that i believe we're gonna have an episode on point of view i'm just looking at looking for it now episode 16 on point of view there's really no order to these things we you just sort of, we just sort of const- like order no. so it's based on the ideas that we had at the time so it's like <laughs> ideas we had ideas i had because well, i made I this episode that. plan but yeah so there oh yeah so so to peer behind the curtain as jake put it there's um no order to these episodes but just by happenstance episode 16 is going to be on point of view so there, so perspective stick around so, for that shit. Yeah, so, so stick around for that um yeah. like it that's also like like tense is something this has really big impact on your story and it's something you want to decide early on yeah because sure. to go back and change it is going to be very laborious but before um, we get to get into a uh, uh, point of view six episodes from now you have a rant about uh titles i do i also have a rant about titles let's get into right. that yeah i am <laughs> so- very excited Okay, great. Um, let's preface our rant. So the uh, last thing we're going to talk about today is titles, which is something that you don't actually necessarily have to decide when you begin a story. Um, I still don't really have one for mine. I have a working title, but I hate it. <laughs> yeah, title is something that can you can add at you know any point while writing your story and mm-hmm. change it. Like that's something that's really easy to change is your title. But generally, it's titles go at the beginning of stories. So we're going to talk about titles in this episode. And we both have rants about them, so that's, this is really convenient. Um, Mine's not d- really a rant, it's just a complaint. Yeah, so go ahead. I do have a lot of those. My complaint, really long titles suck. Thank you. Oh they, my gosh. They fucking I hate, suck. I hate they long titles shit. as well. They suck shit. They are not <laughs> memorable or rhythmic. If you're, nope. if you're fucking, if the title of your book or your fucking fanfic or whatever is some shit like fucking suppose a kid from the last dungeon boonies moved to a starter town fuck you <laughs> and that's a, and that's an actual story of like a manga <laughs> that's an actual title and if you read that manga fuck you too okay jake coming out hard against you, long titles you need it titles should be short snappy memorable yeah and thematically appropriate to your story which Here's... is why you don't need them you don't need the idea for them at the beginning you can figure that out as you go here's where the tears of the podcast gets boring because i agree with that <laughs> i i hate parenthetical titles i hate yeah them. you're stealing and... my rant dude I... oh my gosh <laughs> sorry, go ahead. sorry go, go yeah ahead. so go okay ahead. so we're getting so this is i'm going to become probably going to become um, really um fanfic specific because um you know titles in the published world, you know, go through, like, a whole process, right? Like, yeah. you gotta... You, you make these decisions based on, like, marketing and... Partly, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, your editor and lots of things. But, like, titles and fanfiction, you know, are literally just what the author thinks of at the time. Yeah. And here's here's what my creative writing teacher um, in college said about titles. She was like, 10% of all titles are awful. Like, god-awful terrible. And 10% yeah. of titles are, like, amazing and perfect. And then the rest of the titles are just neutral. And, like, you want to shoot for neutral. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, it's, you don't want to, like, obsess over to the point that you don't want to try and, like, look for that perfect, perfect title um, because it's probably going to drive you crazy. But you really also don't want a title that's going to actively detract 
from your story. And so the, the rant I'm about to go on is like the qualities of titles, I think actively detract from your story. One of them being length that Jake touched on. And I'm so glad you agree with me here. Long (laughs) titles are the worst, um, especially in fan fiction when you want your story to be memorable. And when like, it's really easy, especially if you're in a big fandom for your story to just get lost in the shuffle. But like you want readers to be able to remember your title and come back to it. I think the problem with one word titles in fan fiction is is that they tend to be very generic. um, So then they can be hard to find again. So yeah, they're like that one Aerosmith album where like all the songs are like one word. Sure. Long titles, like I think I used to have a rule that I've broken a couple times now that I didn't I didn't want any title more than six words. Six like, is a pretty high max, but six is, it, that's good, I think. That's, yeah, six is, I, that's a good metric. Okay, I've definitely broken that, just saying. I think I was going to say six is like, like low for like fanfic titles, which I think, yeah. you know, because they're so like unregulated, I guess. Mm-hmm. Fanfic titles can get pretty long. When, when your title goes on to the second line in AO, on like the standard AO3 page I've like you're you're in trouble you're in trouble <laughs> like you don't want that. that I've never seen Have you that. not? That I see that all I see that all the time. It's you very read irritating. A lot more fan fiction than I do. I really don't actually honestly read fan fiction that much. Okay. Well, um so when you title so I see a lot of titles that go onto the second line and like I couldn't name any of them obviously because they're so long and at that point I don't really read the title. I don't register it. Yeah. So, that's the problem with long titles. A lot of titles in fan fiction also come from song lyrics. Full disclosure, I've definitely been guilty of this. They're my least favorite titles, generally. I'm, I'm not... Because they're like... Scr- I, I'm like, that's yeah. me scraping the bottom of the barrel. Um, I don't like, I don't have as much of a problem with them as I do with like really longer parenthetical titles. As an aside, really, really quick, I have friends that have written stories with parenthetical titles before, and they're very talented writers. Like, don't get me wrong. It's just, it's, it's just a style that it's like... It's so hard to remember what the title of that story is. Right? Yeah, I mean, which is great on AO3 because like that, it doesn't really matter on AO3 because you can just bookmark any story that you like, which is fine. But yeah. it's like it's it's just like personally really short, snappy title, which is what does it. Yeah. Do. Okay. So so getting a little bit hard on ourselves. Jake's talking about parenthetical titles. So what I what we're, what we're talking about when you say parenthetical titles is like a title that has like words and then like some words that are in parentheses. Yeah. This is related to the song lyric rant because often these titles are song lyrics. Mm-hmm. Because song lyrics often have parentheticals. Sometimes I've, I've seen fic titles that are like a line of a song and then the next line of a song is in parentheticals. Like, even if the <laughs> See, lyrics aren't not... formatted like that, and I'm just like, but why? Th- why? Why? That's not even... So, like, not only do parentheticals kind of <laughs> make you... Really... It, it's inflammatory but it's like I, I don't actually want to hurt anyone's feelings yeah i also don't want to hurt anyone's feelings but yeah. it does like this is like super like pet peeve maybe it's, just, it's a pet peeve that's exactly it's what just it oh it's so annoying because like i once to irritate someone like would only refer to her fake which was had a parenthetical title by like the title outside of the parenthetical because i was like if it's in parentheses you don't really need it right so that's just so that your title <laughs> the title of your story is just the part outside of the parentheses and she was really irritated with me about that (laughs) (laughs) but i was like why would you make your title longer unnecessarily with this parenthetical it's just a length thing like you don't want your titles to be so long um yeah and there are long titles at work there's there's like let's take for it is a pleasure to surprise to breathe by gary barwin that title's great i love i love that title because like that's 10 words long it's pretty it's it's like a full sentence but there's like an anatomy to it you know what i mean like like it flows well it's sort of rhythmic there's like for it is a pleasure and a surprise to breathe like there's sort of like a a, a, like a beat or a rhythm to the title and also the title is just sort of like uplifting and wholesome 
and in nonfiction especially, you get into longer titles because it's just by nature of what it is. You want to describe what you're talking about. Like there's, I have a book here, Samurai Arms, Armor, and the Tactics of Warfare. By the way, don't buy that book. Anthony Cummins is a fraud. There's another book here, The Perilous Trade, book publishing in Canada, 1946 to 2006. Granted, that's a that there's a subtitle there. The, the title, the main title of the book is The Perilous Trade, which is a fucking great title. But like, you know, there's there's typically more so in, in nonfiction you see longer titles and that's just like sort of that's like an entire yeah well, so well here's another well here's another long title that i love is the absolutely true diary of a part-time indian by that's great sure sherman alexi yeah that's awesome like the title is in and of itself like a tone setter right the yeah abs- the absolutely yeah. true diary of a part-time indian it's like yeah your race is part-time your uh-huh. sort, of, sort of establishes that as like a really weird question yeah like the absolutely true diary establishes tone yeah exactly there's ways to do really long titles well but like, yeah a lot of it in fan fiction is just i feel like it's just based on convention i don't know what it's based on i feel like people a lot of people a lot of fan fiction writers um write to music i don't personally because i sure. can't really because I can't pay attention to two things at once. So I can't, like, have music, especially, like, music with lyrics in the background while I'm writing. Okay, here's the song lyric rant. Is that, like, maybe it's become clear. I don't listen to, like, a ton of music. So I almost never recognize the song lyrics that people are using in their titles. Like, I, I maybe recognize the song lyrics in titles, like, less than 10% of the time. Right. So, like, those, because I don't know the song, that title adds nothing to me. Like, means nothing to me emotionally. Sure. Like, because I, I'm not, like, the, the words don't conjure up the if, song for me. If, if you don't know the song, then you're not going to yeah. know the significance of the of the relation between the title and the and the story itself. Yeah, so, like, that's why I'm, when I'm tempted to use a song lyrics as my title, because I'm like, yeah. oh, this just seems to work so well. I have to, yeah. like, I'm, like, reminding myself, like, it works well for you in your head because you know this song, but, like, 90% of your readership won't know the song. Yeah. So, it's also, when you're using song lyrics, in my experience, really hard to keep a title short. Because it's really hard to, like, pick out lines or, like, partial lines from songs that will work as a title. Yeah. But are also short. So, like, you know, that's what that's where you get really long titles on fanfiction and where you get titles with parentheticals in fanfiction. Because mm-hmm. people have been unable to do that, so they take, like, a whole line from a song. Like, a whole line from a song is a really long title. Really I'll long. tell you right now. Yeah. And, even, it, and unless the reader knows the song, it is a forgettable title. Yeah. And even if, even if the... the title of your book samurai arms armor and the tactics of warfare sounds kind of that's like that's eight words long it's actually shorter than for it is a pleasure and a surprise to breathe but there's again there's rhythm to it there's samurai arms armor and the tactics of warfare like it's the the sort of like the articles in the sentence are sort of set up in ways that like there's they they flow well there's like a good rhythm to them and the perilous trade that's the main title the subtitle is what describes the content of the nonfiction book the perilous trade is itself the main title because it's short and catchy and snappy so it, it, like a long titles like if you want them to be really memorable like no more than like 10 words and if they're above like five words they gotta have rhythm to them yeah and you can and like song lyrics tend to have rhythm to them but when you take a song lyric out of context you're not always maintaining that rhythm it's just uh, that's my rant about song they're, lyrics they're titles. just they're just pet peeves if you have yeah. if you use parenthetical titles you're not a bad author <laughs> we, we please write as many like keep doing your thing we don't want no, to stifle I mean, anyone's creativity because we don't like 
that titling convention. It's just we don't like yeah. that titling convention. We just don't like that titling convention. Yeah, your writing technique within the story is always more important than the title. Yeah, for sure. But the title is important in terms of like what, memorability. I, here's a here's a question: Is memorability a concern in fan fiction as much in like traditional publishing? Maybe I'm just like that, but for me, I want my stories to be memorable. Sure. Um, in more than I, just I mean, the like content. Titles. I mean, I feel like I feel like I like it when titles of fanfiction of fics that I love are memorable, you know? Yeah. No, like, I, I do I do too, but it's like, like people um, at, at large might not because it because like on fanfiction and AO three you could just bookmark or follow or favorite a story and you just yeah. have access to it. I mean you can, but there's also like a there's also like people don't always do that, don't always take advantage of that. Sometimes you like you like something but not enough to bookmark it, but you still yeah. want to remember it. There used to be whole like live journal pages dedicated to like lost fix you know like i read this fic i can't remember what it's called i can't find it again where is it so i think it it's not an unimportant thing to make your fic title sure memorable no, um, I, yeah. I think for me besides you know making my title short i really i love my favorite thing my favorite titles always have double meanings mm -hmm. um oh, those are so good I, like my favorite titles of my own fix and of like other people's fix always have double meetings um just because like that that really just inextricably ties them to the story content of the story right so like when you think of that story you think of the title because of the double meeting in there mm -hmm. i saw so, like my favorite titles so like when i'm thinking of a title i maybe i put too much pressure on myself and get really in my head when i'm thinking of titles but i always like to try and insert like a double meaning in there somewhere yeah me too and i wish i could give examples without like giving away the titles of my picks yeah, but... <laughs> sure. i know exactly but um i love i love double meanings in fix um yeah you know you know kira's fic the double meaning in there yes isn't it in it's like incredible right like just good. it's such a good title it blows your mind it's, it's pretty good um yeah so i love double meanings puns <laughs> i maybe am like really bad about putting puns in my titles but <laughs> i don't know my creative writing teacher professor in college would always kind of disparage titles that were drawn from like lines in the right. in stories which honestly like i'm like i don't know do you, i do that i do that a lot do you um, mean the thing where they were like a character says the name of the story no i mean like when your title is drawn from a line in the story like whether it's dialogue or not like it's it, it's not like a it's not like a double entendre title it's straight up just like a line of narration or like a line of dialogue mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Huh. not okay. like this like the like the character isn't doesn't necessarily like reference the story itself because that's like right. a whole other thing but i mean like when you have a fic title that just happens to be like a line that's spoken somewhere in the story i get you i do i mean i do that a lot because like it's so to hard make not it... to use examples of the shit well, that we know because we don't want to know it ourselves i know but it's i do that a lot because it's like it makes it easier to like tie the title to the story thematically yeah yeah sure although Ideally, I wouldn't do that, but often I kind of end up doing that. I don't, I don't mind doing ideas. that too much. I think that's that's alright. That's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of speaking of like your fic title, your fic title is great um, in you. that like double meaning way and in the short and snappy way. Thank you. Um, really, really good. <laughs> I came up with that one in a panic because the first title I had it was dog shit. <laughs> it was one word. It sucked. I don't think anyone saw it though. I changed it in like fucking ten seconds. I was like, that's bad. Uh, I used this one <laughs> instead, and it stuck. It's really, it's, it's really good. I wouldn't. Um, thank you. Yeah. I also, like, I, I, the, the first story that I read of yours that was like, what made me write that one was like, yeah. 
<laughs> Thank yeah, you. Yeah, Thank nice. you. That's a... I'm, I'm really so proud of that. Boring. I know, it's, it's so, so hard. Fu- it's so it's hard. It's so fucking boring and vague because we can't fucking say what we're talking about. Should we just end... I know. That's all the time we have for today, folks. No, no. Okay, wait, <laughs> oh, no, okay. You don't want to end it here? Okay, good. Well, so. no, no, we'll, we, will, we, we will end it here. Um, before uh, Jake and I dox ourselves, we're going to sign off. Thank you, as always, to Kira. Please follow us on OWFF underscore podcast on Instagram, which is where you'll get updates for new episodes because this has been super irregular. Sure has. Um, send us emails to like OWFF. Carrie did. Yeah, like Carrie. Um, send us emails to OWFFpod at gmail.com. And we will, and please rate, review, subscribe, do whatever to manipulate the algorithm. Whatever, whatever proprietary function is on your chosen listening platform of choice. Yep. Yep. And we will see you next time. Catch you guys around. You know that scene in American Psycho where, like, all the dudes are standing around in a boardroom comparing, uh, like, business cards? No, but okay, I well, can imagine. I haven't seen the movie, but I just know that scene. But, like, that's that's the impression that I get from it. It's like you have some dude who's like, oh, yes, you have the, the smart-ass pen. <laughs> fine, fine writing utensils, but I prefer the parker. It's like just standing around in a cigar lounge, fucking shaking their jowls about fucking fountain pens. It's the world that I was not ken to prior to today. I don't know... Whether this is an indication of how boring your life is or how exciting your life is. I mean, if if I had known prior to today, I would I would probably lean more towards the boring end of that spectrum because I'm like, yeah, let's talk about pens.